place where we can experience the presence of God. And as I've said many times, it's good to press in and worship. Because when the presence of God comes, the Spirit of God can minister directly into your life. When the presence of God comes in, in meetings, you know, people can get healed without anybody praying for them. And we've had testimonies of people who have been in, in the presence of God. It's just part of the touchline. And see, nothing is impossible with God. The Bible says, with God, all things are possible. And sometimes we just need to expand our expectation. We need to expand because God is always willing to do things for us and to work in our lives. Because his purpose is that we should come to know him and be changed and transformed and know the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And so, as we come today to look at the Word of God, I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 and I'm centred around Zacharias but I'm not really wanting that to be my main focus. <coughs> when I was thinking about what do you call this, the, the preacher's body, it's a wee, <coughs> I never really just found the exact word but I've ended up just saying the preparation. See, God is always moving. We sing that chorus, even when I don't see it, God is moving. When we are oblivious to what is going on, God is moving. And I'm going to just look at a few things in the beginning of Luke. Um, because the other thing about Luke is Luke is very, very specific. And the verse 1 in chapter 1 verse 5 it says there was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia. So right away Luke is telling us who was ruling when Zechariah was alive and being a priest working in the temple and not only did he tell us he was a priest but he tells us of the course of Abia, which we'll come on to in a, a moment's time. And we find this again all through the book of Luke. And when you go to chapter 2, in verse 1 and 2, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So Luke again is telling us very specifically, who was ruling and when this tax was announced by Caesar Augustus. And when we go to Luke chapter 3, when it talks about the ministry of John the Baptist, Luke is very specific as to when he begins his ministry. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and the region of Triconitus, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Alperin. Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests, the word came unto John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So every, when we look at all these passages, we see how specific Luke is telling us when events happened. And he's telling us who was in power in the governorships 
of the regent, whether it's Pontius Pilate, whether it's King Herod, who is a high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. So Luke draws our attention right away. Another thing he says here, the certain priest named Zechariah in the course of Abia. Have you ever thought about that? It comes from Second Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 24. And in the days of David when he was king, David split the priesthood into 24 orders or 24 divisions under the names of the various priests. And in the first chronicles 24.10, you'll find that it was under Abijah. <coughs> and so the course of Abijah, what that meant was that Zechariah would twice a year fulfill one week of duties at the temple. And then specific feasts, all the priests would be there. So in the course of Abijah, twice a year, we're going to see Zacharias ministering in the temple. And this is very significant. Because just as Luke has been specific about all the other events, he is specific about when Zacharias is ministering in the temple. And when he is ministering in the temple twice a year, then the first time he's ministering is in the month of Chislewood. In the, in the Jewish calendar, and the second time it was in the month Savan. And these dates correspond to early December and round about mid June. Now that's important because the Bible tells us in the story when we read about Zechariah that his wife is going to have a child. And so if he is in the, if he's in the temple in June, then the child is going to be nine months later. If, if it's December, then the child will be nine months later from December. But that means that you can also know when Jesus is born. Because Jesus is born six months after the, the John the Baptist. And in my book, I made an allusion to the fact that many people believe that Jesus was born at the time of tabernacles. And if that being the case, then instead of Jesus being born in December, he was just actually conceived in December to be born. And tabernacles is the most likely, because the reason why is it the Bible says in John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the incarnation when Jesus was born. And that Word dwelt, the, the root Word is, is tabernacled. And when we read through the scripture with pe people like the Apostle Peter, he would talk about this body. I am a tabernacle. And he would say, no, it's shortly. But I, might, I must put off this tabernacle. I'm going to, I'm going to be passing into eternity. This tabernacle I'm living in this body is only temporary. The Apostle Paul, he would also uh, make these same allusions. He was saying in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens. So this building, not made with hands, the body that you're going to receive when you go into glory, the Bible says it's a body like unto the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at Luke, we can see how he is always so specific so that you might know when events happened, who they were, and you might know when the birth of John the Baptist would be, and consequently know when the birth of Jesus Christ would be. Now, background up to this time. In the life of Israel, there was a period where, the, where all with the theologians talk about the 400 silent years. But in this period of time, all the events are given in the book of Daniel. But during this period of time, you know that the temple was polluted by Antiochus. He set up the, the, the statue of Zeus. He offered pigs to the altar. And of course that produced the Maccabean revolt. And the Maccabean revolt lasted probably, I think it's just under 100 years. And then the Bible says, around 63 BC, the Romans arrived. So that means when we look at Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, because the Bible says they were old, they were stricken in years. So the indication here is that when they were young, they experienced the overthrow of the Maccabeans and the Romans coming in and taking authority and charge in the country. And so they've got this background where they've experienced all these things when they're young. And of course, if you speak to people from Ukraine, what they experience, what the young children would be experiencing of things that's going on when an army comes in and their country is invaded, then there's possibilities that during their lives have carried hurts, they've carried sores, they've carried things in their lives which have been the scars from those early years. And so, as Luke 1.7 says, and they, were, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were now well stricken in years. And so, we have Zacharias, and we come to his duty. And in verse 8, Luke 1, and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So in the tabernacle there's two, there two altars. In the outer court there's a brazen altar. The brazen altar is the one where the fire is burning continuously. The brazen altar is the place where the sacrifices are being burned. The brazen altar is that which reminds us of the penalty of sin and the consequences of sin. That the sacrifices have to be made because the blood has to be shed, the animals have to be killed. But when you went into the Holy of Holies, there was another altar. And it was the altar of incense. And what they would do is they would take coals from the altar of the brazen altar and bring these coals into the altar of incense to light the incense. And then the priests would walk about in the just like you see today in Orthodox churches, the priests would walk about with incense holders, just waving about so that the whole and in that holy place 
will be filled with the incense of a log, that aroma. And of course, the Bible talks about incense because incense represents the prayers of the saints. And we get an example in Revelation chapter 8 and verses 3 and 4 where it talks about how the angels would come and stand at the altar and they would have the golden censer and they would offer up the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne of God. And the smoke of the incense which came from the prayers of the saints ascended up before God and of the angel's hand. And so the, the incense talks about the prayer and the worship. And of course when Zechariah is in the, that place where he is walking about, where he is at the altar of incense, and he is, walks about with the, and the, the aroma is spread in that place, the Bible said that the people outside were praying. As he was doing that, they were praying. And so the altar of incense, it was the duty that Zechariah had. And when he was in there, at this particular time, he had an encounter. And it was a very unique encounter. Because there was no priest who ever had an encounter with an angel in the temple. And while he is in there, doing his daily duties, the Bible said, verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And the angel speaks to Zechariah. And from the conversation, we gather that Zechariah has been praying for a miracle. He has been praying that his wife Elizabeth would have a child. Because the angel says, of her to prayer. Of her to prayer. And now, this is what I really want to draw his attention to today. The encounter is of great significance. This encounter is of great significance because God is putting together all the pieces to bring about the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. God is now starting to move and God is now starting to put into place the pieces so that the day will come that we will see the outworking of what God has started. Because in the book of Daniel, it tells us when Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. The book of Daniel gives you the time span of when Messiah will be cut off. And so for, to prepare for this event, God sends his angel and speaks to Zechariah. They say, we've heard your prayer, Zechariah. Heard your prayer. We've come to answer your prayer. And see, when God is going to fulfill his word, he first comes to his own people. And he comes to his own people with revelation and he provides signs, especially for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Because the Bible tells us the Jews require a sign. So the angel comes and the sign is that Elizabeth is going to be a child. In her old age, just like Sarah of old, Rebecca, Hannah, the Shumanite, the, the, the lady from Shunan, all of these ladies were barren. 
but God done a miracle. And so here in the temple, God speaks to Zacharias. And he started to put into motion all the pieces he needs so that he, Messiah will be recognized. And he does it in a way that catches the attention of everybody. Because all the priests, all the people in the countryside of Judea, all the relatives and neighbours, they all marvelled when the child was born. They were all astounded. And they were wondering, what great thing is this? And so, God never forsakes his people. God is always going to fulfil what he has said in his word. And in his word, he has told us he is going to deal with sin. In his word, he has told us there's going to be a great sacrifice. Isaiah 53 gives us the details about that sacrifice, about how Jesus would be wounded for our transgression. How he would be bruised, how he would be rejected. But God has to put things into place for these events to happen. And we sing a song, even when we don't see it, God is working. And here God is working. He has now started to say, there is a prophecy that I'm going to fulfil. And this is how I'm going to fulfil it. And the Bible says in Isaiah 40 verse 3, and John quotes it, He is a voice in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so here this temple, this priest has this unique encounter where the angel comes and speaks and ministers to him. And he is old and his wife is old. And so a miracle is going to happen. And that miracle is going to catch the attention of everybody connected with the temple, everybody connected with the priesthood, because it was done openly. And so God comes first and gets revelation to his own people, and he comes with the signs so that people's attention will be caught. And as I said, Daniel was the one who gave the details of when the Messiah would be cut off. So John who is going to be born is going to be the one who is going to herald the coming of the Messiah. He is the one who is going to be used. And what this tells me about the scriptures is that every prophetic word and everything that God has said that he is going to do will be done. And most people most people are unaware of it. Most people are unaware of it. Only the people connected with the temple, the neighbours and friends of Zechariah and Elizabeth were aware of the miracle that took place with this child with John the Baptist being born. We know about Jesus when he comes into the temple, Anna and Simeon were there who would prophesy, and they were old, and they had been in the temple for years and years as well. And no doubt they would have heard all and be aware about this miracle that was taking place with, with the birth of Elizabeth. And you know, and we see that same thing happening time and time again in Scripture. When the Jewish people were sent into Egypt, the Bible said they would be there for 400 years. God remembered his word. And he had Moses 
And Moses was 40 years in the wilderness. But when the time came for deliverance, Moses was sent into Egypt. So that the word of God would be fulfilled and deliverance would flow. And God knows how to pick people. Because Moses would know all his ins and outs with the palace in Egypt. You read the accounts when Moses comes with Aaron before Pharaoh. You know, he's not coming and getting an appointment to come to see him. When you read it, all of a sudden he is here. And that tells me that God raised up somebody years ago, been planning and working so that when the time came for the work to be fulfilled, God can send a man who could go and walk anywhere through these palaces, not into and outs of place, and not have get to be in the front of Pharaoh and deliver the word of God to Pharaoh. But what happened before he done that? He came to the people who were in slavery. And he came first to them and told them God was now going to deliver them. And he done the signs before them so that they would believe. And it was after he came to his own people, then did the world get to know about it, Pharaoh get to know about it. And it's the same with the story of Zechariah. The birth was a miraculous birth. But the world never got to know about it until one day there was somebody preaching in the wilderness. And he was saying, repent, repent, turn from your sins, turn from your wickedness, turn from evil. And then once that came, everybody got to know about it. The Romans got to know about it. Even the religious people running at Ananias, Annas and so forth. Um, uh, and that, that other one, <laughs> the, the two high priests, they sent other priests to go because they had forgot. They forgot what happened. They hadn't paid attention to what happened. And this is another thing. God comes and gives his word to his people. But the events that take place can take place years later. Because John the Baptist had to grow up. And the Bible says he grew up in, in the wilderness. And so he was out of sight, out of mind. And the implication is that Annas <coughs> comes to be a high priest. And he's unaware about it. Didn't know anything about it. And he's having to send priests down to the river Jordan to find out who's this John the Baptist, what's he doing? So the Bible tells us God always speaks to his people and he will fulfill prophecy. Even today as we are here, God can move and we can be oblivious to who God has and what position and governments and authority in different places for things to happen. Even if you think of when the Babylonian Empire, great empire, but who was at the top? Daniel. Who could interpret dreams? Daniel. Who had a great influence? Daniel. Why do you think the wise men came to the east? Because, following the start, because Daniel was a man there for all his life. The interpretation telling us all the different things. And the people came from the east. 
and influence of Daniel. And so the Bible, but when it comes to God wanting the world to know that he is involved in events, he does things so open that nobody can deny it. And when Israel was established as a nation in 1948, the Bible says, can a nation be established in a day? When it's to do with God, yes. The whole world saw that Israel was established. Yeah. The whole world saw and heard when Israel had got back to Jerusalem to be their capital. The whole world didn't like it. But in the scriptures, God said he was going to do it. And you can actually, from the scriptures, I've got the details in the book, but you can actually, in the scriptures, you can go from the dates of the proclamation to the exact date in 1948 when Israel became a nation, and to the exact date in 1967 when they got Jerusalem. All the calculations you can get from the scriptures. But that was done openly for the whole world to know it. One sad thing is, after a book which I read, and it quotes the theologians who say they think it was just an accident. <laughs> but it's all there in black and white. So what I'm saying to you, when it comes to the world, God does something that everybody can see. But when he is dealing with his people for his purposes, he comes first to his own people and gives revelation. And here in this story here, what we are finding is that God has a plan to bring salvation to every man, woman, and child in this world. But this plan requires that the Son of God comes from heaven and he takes on flesh and he walks this life. And God has promised that there would be a forerunner. And so he, the forerunner is now getting prepared. The forerunner, the one coming to Zechariah, is you're going to have a son. Your son is going to be great. Your son is going to be mighty. He's going to be a, a mighty prophet. And so he's not only a prophet, but when John the Baptist comes, he's going to be a prophet and he's going to be a priest. Because his lineage is of the house of Abia. So his father Zacharias is a priest, he is also a priest. And this is significant. Because when he does grow up and he starts to preach and he starts to proclaim the word of God and he starts to tell the people to repent, the Bible, and remember, earlier on, it told us who was in rule at the time, Philip and his brothers. What did John the Baptist do? He preached against their wickedness and their immorality. But when Jesus comes, John is preaching and baptizing in the river Jordan. And he tells people to repent. But when Jesus comes, you know, a great significance takes place. Because Zechariah, he is a Levitical priesthood. And the Levitical priesthood, their job was to offer sacrifices. Constantly sacrifices sacrifices because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin all it could do was cover it but it could not take away and here 
as he preaches repentance one day Jesus comes. And this is another thing which happens in the river Jordan. Jesus is baptized with Jordan. But what is not seen by the human eye is the transference of the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood. Because the Bible says that Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he was of a greater priesthood. And if you remember the story in Genesis, it says that the priesthood that was in Abraham's loins was blessed by Melchizedek, king of Salem. And so here at this story, God is now starting to put pieces together so that all of these events could be fulfilled. So that Jesus would have a forerunner proclaiming the word of God. And that Jesus would come and fulfill his ministry and would be cut off and pay the price of sin at the very time of the afternoon sacrifice, at the very day that Daniel prophesied he would be cut off and his life would be taken. And so we encourage ourselves God is always moving. He is always moving. And everything that's got to be fulfilled in his word will be fulfilled at the right time. And he comes to his own people to give revelation of what's happening. That's why the gifts of prophecy and things, it's good to have them because God gives us indications of the things which he is doing. And so the Bible says here, look, <coughs> but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine or strong drink, and shall fill, be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. So Zechariah, from the indication, has been praying for a child. But when, of course, <coughs> it comes, you know, he's got his doubts. But anyway, how all these things will happen. But he's praying for a child. <clears throat> you know, it's just like Elizabeth. She, she joins Sarah. She joins um, Rebecca and, and, and Manoah's wife, etc., etc. We have coffers named John. You see, John wasn't a Hebrew name. You'll not find anybody in the Old Testament called John. Come into the New Testament, you'll start to get John, John Mark, Apostle John. But John's not a Hebrew name. It's a Gentile name. And that's interesting. Because the Bible says all nations are going to bow to Jesus. And here because he said, you will call his name John. Because remember when he came to be circumcised, his relatives, his, the family, the friends, they were all looking for this child to be called Zacharias. And he said, no, his name will be John. His name will be John. And it indicates that God is not only coming to save his own people, Israel, but he's coming to save everybody. Yes. He has identified himself with those who are not Jewish. His name shall be called John. You know, in, in the scriptures, there was a number of people whose names were given before they were born. 
Ishmael, Isaac, Josiah, Cyrus, and even Jesus, when the angel appears to many, his name shall be called Jesus. And the Bible says here, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, which means that he was going to be called a Nazarite. And a Nazarite, you find all the requirements in Numbers chapter 6, verse 3. Keeping away from strong drink, keeping away from those particular areas of life. But he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Again, that is special. Because we don't read of people being filled with the Holy Ghost from their mother's womb. But John the Baptist was very special. He was unique in this God. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife will stricken years. It's quite funny because yesterday at the men's group we were talking about how, how different men are from women. <laughs> when the angel comes to Mary, Mary says, Let it be, as you have said, Lord, comes to Zechariah, how can it be? I've been praying about this, but how can it be? And behold, I shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. See, God's words are always fulfilled in their due season. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So he comes out and everybody's, he must have had a vision or something. And he said, beckoned to him, but he could no use his hands to try to give an indication of what happened. You know, and we come down in this and look from verse 61, 64, then down to verse 65, it says, And fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. Again, when God comes, and he comes first to his people, and he gets, the people get the revelation, and it gets noised abroad, Noise abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. There's nobody there who was ignorant of what happened. Nobody was ignorant of what happened. People might have put it to the back of their mind after the event. And maybe it went on for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Nothing came of that event. We thought something good would have come. Our expectations would be this and that. And so people could have easily just fallen back into their own ways. But God was still working, preparing, and raising up a man who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And John himself says, <coughs> And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. The prophetic word from, John, from Zacharias about John. He is going to be the prophet of the highest. He's going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. And that was the ministry of John the Baptist. He'd done that. One other thing about this story. When you find Mary going to speak to Elizabeth and the child's... <coughs> is manifested in the womb and etc. 
Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. But one was of the tribe of Levi and the other was of the tribe of Judah. And you can trace that back because there was early marriage earlier on with it. And that means that this child, one, when Jesus comes, he's not only going to be a priest in his own right as well, but he's going to be a king. Because the king comes from Judah. And so the story is, because as we coming up to Christmas, remember God has been working here for the best part of 30 years. The people in the temple who were caught with all the excitement of the birth of John the Baptist and then with the birth of Jesus. A high proportion of them would have been no longer living. And other people would come in to take ministry in the temple. Other people would come and a lot of what took place could have started to be lost. Because that's just human nature. But you see, when God says, here is a date, that date will be fulfilled. You might not know how it's going to be fulfilled. Because God's always moving. And we live in times where you see such wickedness and immorality but God is still in control. And we want to be people of the book to know the word of God because God will always fulfill his work. He will always fulfill his work. And so as we've just looked at that story today, always know, even if it's going to take 40 years in the wilderness to prepare a man to meet his deadlines, to bring deliverance at the due time, that's the way God will work. If he's going to raise up somebody who is getting born when their mother is very old, then God will do it. And God will nurture them and bring them and let them grow. And where they are growing, everybody else forgets about them. But in due time, they come forth to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And just as God used people there in the Old Testament, every one of us can be used of God for plans and purposes that God has. Because God has destiny for everybody. And at times we can get discouraged when we don't see things happening. But we want to lift our eyes above what we see around us and have our confidence fixed firmly in the grace of God and the goodness of God. Because God's word never fails. And God works to bring forth his people and he works to bring people into their destiny and into their calling. And you can be hidden from the world for years. Nobody knows you. But when the anointing of God comes and says, now is the time for you to fulfill what I've given you. And you step into the limelight, then everything changes. And God always works that way. He calls us because he comes to his own people. So let's just pray this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. We see how you're prepared to put pieces together 
so that you will meet your deadline and fulfill prophecy. And I pray, Father, even now as we are heads about, that over this audience, that the Spirit of God will start to breathe. That the Spirit of God will start to breathe. The breath of God, the breath of life. For there is destiny here in people's lives. Amen. People have been hidden for years. God has got his hand on people here. In fact, every heart that opens to him, he has got destiny and purpose. And you might be hidden for many years. But when John the Baptist came on the scene, when Jesus came on the scene, they never needed a long time to fulfill the purposes of God. And God used them mightily. And we just pray this morning as you fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on the calling of God upon your life. You might be hidden for a season, but when the anointing comes upon you to fulfill the purposes that God has given you, it explodes before the faces of those outside the church. Whether it's healing, gifts of healings and miracles, whether it's being anointed preaching the gospel. The great thing is that God never overlooks anyone. All who are thirsty. All who are thirsty. All who are weak. Come. God wants to use you.